Hey, everybody, welcome to... That was, that was a weird hey. <laughs> Let's try that. Let's... Hey, everybody. How's everyone doing today? We should talk in our junior high voices once. <clears throat> hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Bible in a Year reading plan. We also have PDFs available on our website, grope.church. Yeah, and as you're listening or reading along with us, uh, or maybe you're just reading a different passage of Scripture, we would love to take some time to answer questions that may pop up or come to your mind. Uh, so you can send us those questions in one of two ways. One is a direct message to our Facebook page. We are the Grove Church in Washington State. Uh, so you can uh, send us a DM there. We get those messages through Facebook, but we also get emails uh, and you can send an email to info at grove.church. Uh, make sure to say in the subject line that this is a Let's Read the Bible podcast question. Uh, you could say it's a question for Evan and Aaron, or it's just a question for Aaron because my name starts first. So, fair. Uh, but you're welcome to send us there. We love to take time as much as we can week over week to answer questions uh, from you, our faithful listeners, and we would love to take some time to do that. So send us those questions. Well, this week we're going to be talking about the second letter. <clears throat> wow, my voice is just going crazy today. Dude, that was that was rad. We're going to be talking about the second letter of Peter. So not First Peter, but Second Peter. As far as resources go, we're pretty much using the same ones as last week. So that'll be the ESV Study Bible, the Reformation Study Bible, the Essence of the New Testament, a survey by Elmer L. Towns and Ben Gutierrez, and then the New Testament in its World by N.T. Wright and Michael F. Bird. So yep. great resources. Highly recommend them if you are looking to continue diving into your studies. Absolutely. Well, to introduce the book... He uh, pushed up his glasses when he said that too, by the true. way, just so you know. Uh, this letter was probably written a few years after 1 Peter. Um, and there's actually, there's a few interesting things that we can infer, I suppose you can say, from the way that this is written. So first off, uh, Peter is pretty aware that he's not long for this world. Um, so usually it's dated to the late 60s. If First Peter is dated to, let's say, between 63 and 65, uh, Second Peter is usually dated between 66 and 68. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's I think go with it was that. eight. I'm trying to remember. It was the year that uh, the year that Nero dies would be too late. And I can't remember if that's in 68 or 69, but anyway, dear and most of us listening. Great. That's awesome. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess the important part is it's a few years after first Peter. Uh, and then there's actually some evidence that, so Paul, there's some evidence that Paul's letter to the church in Rome had actually been circulating. So there's a few different things Say that are going what? on here. So Peter is writing to the same audience that he wrote his first letter to. Um, the reason we know this is because he references, hey, that other letter I wrote to you. So he wouldn't have said, like, if he wrote the first letter to the churches in Galatia, and then he wrote the second letter to just random people, then that doesn't make any sense why he'd reference the first letter. Uh, but he also references the book of Romans. And so, or Paul's letter to the church of Rome, I guess, is a better way of saying uh what exactly he would have been referencing is mine. Yeah, because so, he didn't call it the Book of Romans or the Roman. He called it. He would have called it something that along the lines of Paul writing to the church in Rome. Right. So, but he's not writing to people in Rome, at least as far as we can tell. So, what that implies is that the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome had already been widely circulating within Paul and Peter's lifetime, which is really interesting because a lot of times when you hear arguments, it'll say like, well, this didn't really start happening until, you know, years and years after the apostles' deaths. Well, here we actually have some internal textual evidence that people in Galatia were aware 
of what Paul had written to the church in Rome. And it also makes Romans makes perfect sense as one of the first Burks Burks, one of the first books uh, to circulate because it is really kind of Paul's systematic theology, yep. if you will. He's systematizing step by step by step by step. Here's here's basically what we believe as Christians. So um, anyway, that's interesting. It's not so much having to do with the theme of the book, but it's more of kind of, I thought it was a really interesting textual thing. Yeah. Also, uh, in one of my favorite parts of the Bible, Peter talks about how hard Paul is to read. <laughs> so basically, which is just- And like, let's be honest though, he's not the easiest one to read either, okay? Peter, it's easier Peter, than Peter, you may think that you are just this easy guy to follow and read. You're not the easiest guy either, okay? Um, but yes, he is easier than Paul. I will give him that. But- He's just not the easiest, okay? Yeah. As far as outline goes, it's actually pretty straightforward and interesting. Yeah. There's a there's a section of prophecy that takes up the meat of the book, and it's bookended by two sections of exhortation. So that's just what we're going to do. So no no fancy alliteration or anything. It's just going to be, hey, wah, wah. here's the beginning exhortation, here's the ending exhortation, and then here's the prophecy in the middle. <laughs> so there you go. All right. Well... Let's start it off. Yep. Let's read the first 15 verses, which is the beginning exhortation. It says this, Simeon, Peter, but side note, a bunch of names in the New Testament got, um, is it anglicized? I I can't remember how to say it. Anyway, a bunch of them got changed from their Old Testament counterparts. So when you say, when you read Simon, it's actually Simeon. Same thing as when you read James, it's actually Jacob. Um, There's a Judas is actually Judah. There's a few in Jude. Uh, There's a few like that. Jesus is You just ruined a whole Joshua. bunch of kids' names because parents named these kids after like biblical names and like, I got to stay away from Judas and you just ruined that for Yeah. Some. So all of you who named your kids Judah, congratulations. <laughs> you so named bad. him after Judas. So bad. Just kidding. Uh, so anyway, uh, it says, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a, f- a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of divine of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control. That's, boy, that's a theme in all the... I've. I, it's funny going through so many of the epistles, I've noticed how much self-control is really like, <laughs> they all hit on it. Uh, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours, and are and are increasing... They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Also a theme that comes up a lot. Uh, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right as long as I am in this body. That's kind of what we're talking about when he's saying, like, he knows, like, you know, hey, I'm not going to be in this body very much longer. Uh, 
In this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of, of my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that my departure, so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. All right, so that's a long one, but it's actually a yeah, little. I'm bit... sorry, you read that and you tell me that's easy to track and follow. That's fair. I feel like Peter. He he's a guy that, and we see this all throughout the New Testament. He, he's a guy that um, he's an outward processor. I'll just say it that way. He's fair. a guy that has to talk out his thoughts to understand them and make sense of them. So Well, and it's funny to me, the 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 later epistles, uh, the later letters of the apostles, they make such a big deal out of putting to writing exactly what we believe. And you can you can see that false teachers are creeping up. Yeah. Um, because I th- I think the later that you go, the more that starts to happen and the more the apostles are like, let me be very clear yep. <laughs> with exactly what we believe right here. Um, but I also love how he just goes through a bunch of virtues. And he's saying, and I, I love the way he phrases it as well, because he's saying, you're going to be ineffective in your ministry. Uh, and this isn't just written to pastors. This is written to the church, yeah. right? As as yeah. Christians, our ministry is to show people who Jesus is, is to show people Jesus. And he's saying, if you don't have um, faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control, steadfastness, brotherly affection and love, um, if you don't have those things, you're going to be ineffective in sharing the gospel. And I, I, I can't tell you, you know, how many people who just outright reject Christianity or they actually outright reject Christians that they know. And when you actually talk to them, it's it's not so much that like the doctrine of Christianity is just not, and there's some people who are like that, like yeah. they, they actually struggle through. But it's not as big of a percentage. Right. A lot of people who have sworn off of Jesus have done so because they've had bad experiences with followers of Jesus. And so it's, it's a sobering reminder for us yeah. that we need to think about how am, how is my life Presenting the gospel. Presenting yeah. is the wrong word. Representing is probably what I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, and then and I, it's not just the whole like the side note. You know what one of my least favorite quotes of all time is? And what is this, it? This Evan? is a hot take. Ready? Um, and listeners, you get to hear this first. You get to hear this first. Here on, let's read the Bible. Um, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. <laughs> and so, and so here's and here's my point. Um, you have to use words. Listen, like, you just ruffled some people's feathers because that was a quote. That's actually a quote on their wall in their car. No, on it's their phone. it's super popular. So I get that this is a hot take, um, and I'm not saying I'm right. Like you know, if it's one of your favorites, don't hate me. It's just for me. Um, it's always necessary to use words yeah. to talk about the gospel. You can't just live like a nice life and then people are like, hmm, so you're telling me like, you know, hey, thanks for doing these things for me. Also, now I understand that Jesus Christ came and lived the perfect sin. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it's not the way it works. But what it's getting at, I think is good. And this, yeah. and this is what Peter's getting at here is the way that we live our lives will attract people to the gospel. Yeah. And it can all, and this odd, the opposite is true. The way that we live our lives can absolutely repel people from the yep. gospel. So. When it's something even Jesus himself said multiple times, and Peter would be one of the first ones to say, or ha- even have the authority to speak into this and, and provide the realization of what Christ has said. I mean, even on the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, it's no secret I'm reading through the Sermon on the Mount right now and working through the, the depth of the, of the content. And one of the things the commentator wrote is, is if he quoted was, I think it was C.S. Lewis, because uh, C.S. Lewis was a, a strong uh, antagonist towards the Sermon on the Mount. He did not like the Sermon on the Mount at all. And uh, one guy, Pittenger or whatever his name is, like called him out on it and said, you know, how can you not love that if you love Jesus? And C.S. Lewis and his, and his brilliance fired back like, 
there's nothing wrong with not liking it because if it, it's in essence, he compared it to, and I wish I had the quote in front of me. I don't, I'm sorry, but he compared it to like getting beat up over and over and over <laughs> and over again. That's the Sermon on the Mount. And so he's like, why would I enjoy that? He's like, the conviction is necessary. And as a Christian, I'm, I'm called to this, but he's just, he, what he didn't like about it is the difficulty of, of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is setting a standard. Right. Um, and even ends it. And this was the, I was ending chapter five, but the whole idea of love your enemies. Uh, and, you know, and pray for those who persecute you. And it's like, hold up, wait a minute. Um, and it is, it is this tension that as Christians, and, and this is what I love about Peter is he's in all of his, his craziness and all of his brashness, his boldness, um, he doesn't shy away from, from calling people out what, what they need to be called out in, and calling us as Christians to be mindful of how is our lives being, I mean, to, you said it right, man. Like, how is, how is my life representing the gospel? How is it reflecting the truth of Jesus in my everyday life? Because the the quote, and this is what struck my my the chord in my thought, is the whole idea of the quote is like, preach the gospel, use words when necessary. It The intent is right not to walk out preaching the gospel, standing on a street corner, like, hey, I have a message for everybody. Turn in, or turn to Jesus. Repent of your sins. Like, it's it's this picture of your life should should be able to lay a foundation with which you're able to then bridge the gap of, of relationship and truth in Jesus. Um, but it is, it also this picture, and this is what the, what the commentary was painting, which was just so challenging, is how do I respond to those who are against me? How do I respond in those moments? Because I'm not going to use words and tell them, hey, Jesus loves you. Because it's, it's, it's necessary for me to understand God's love enough to be able to love them in spite of the, the punishment or the turmoil or the chaos. Um, or the, the the trial I'm getting put through. Um, and so this is where the gospel has to be able to translate to our everyday lives is, am I reflecting in, 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 in Peter's statements, like the idea of these, these characteristics in increasing measure, like that's the other thing too. It's not a, it's never, I've gotten them, check yeah, it off, that's boom, true. done, right? It's increasing measure. If you possess these in increasing measure, in other words, at, are they continuing to show up more and more and more and more and more? Because as we wrestle through truth, as we walk with Jesus, as difficult as it is, these characteristics should be showing themselves up more regularly. And self-control is one of the biggest ones that I think, especially as American Christians, my, I'm raising my hand first, I need more of. Right. Because I have a, a wealth of luxuries at my, my disposal. I had Papa Murphy's Pizza the other night. I bought the s'mores little bars that they have for dessert because I wanted to you treat You go the dessert pizza route? No, because it's roughly the same thing. Right. Like the s'mores love, bar, same thing. I love the dessert pizza. But dude, like, so I'm like, I can't control myself because all I want is something sweet and sugary. And so I'm chowing down. I'm like, I'm such an idiot. Like, God, I need a greater sense of self-control because <laughs> I'm not eating right. But it is, but it, like we, I think American Christianity, Westernized Christianity, we have got to figure out this idea of self-control in increasing measure. Yeah. Um, and someone said it this way, and I'll, I'll be done. But the idea of like, am I getting 1% stronger or more mature in my faith today? Am I, what? Am I 1% more today than I was yesterday? That's this increasing measure pr pr perspective. Are we growing and maturing in these things? So Yeah, you never you never reach a point where, all right, you got a little bit too much love now. Yeah, right. I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to check that box cuz I'm done. Like no, there is no done. All right, well, let's move on to uh, our second section here today, and that is talking about the prophetic section of Second Peter, and that's the bulk of the book. So we won't be reading everything here. What? We'll read both the exhortations, hey, but good yeah. version too, by the way. I did put CSB. Yeah. Did I do that? Did you do that? Did I didn't you go do in? it, bro. Really? Did oh. you do CSB up top too? I must have. Nope. You did the ESV. 
And the rest of his wow. All right. Well, hey, I, I, listen. <laughs> there you go. Throw your guys, bone. I'm slowly winning him over. I shouldn't uh, have said anything to see if he would have picked it up. I would have. Anyways, never. sorry. For those of you who don't know, uh, we read different versions of the Bible. We just like the different. Yeah. we like different versions because the way we like them to be read or so, the way they read. So. Yeah, this isn't a point of contention. It's just a joke no. between us. Yeah. But I accidentally. Put Evan it. likes the ESV, which is a good version. I don't. I'm not against it, but I like the CSB better. Yeah. Neither contain heresy, so good deal. Not yet, at least. Um, <laughs> not that we've found. All right. So in the first part of it, uh, Peter begins the section by encouraging the church to look forward to the second coming of Christ. Which again, re- reminder of the context he's writing this in. Um, this is to a church that's experiencing persecution. Yeah. So the first letter deals with that a lot, um, but I guarantee there's no way that Nero has risen to power and the church is like better off. So I guarantee you whatever persecution this church was going through, it's it's at least at the same level, probably worse right now. Um, but it, it is a really powerful reminder that I think, and we've talked, we talk about this a lot. I don't know why this is such a thing that always pops up in my head, but we we're so wealthy and and not just in the sense of money, but we our lives are so comfortable yeah, that true. we never think about eternity really. And and I should say in the modern West yes. is kind of what I'm talking about. So um, the idea that we will die is not something that we really have to wrestle with until we're in our seventies. And not that the saying doesn't happen earlier than that, but yeah. most people that's kind of like, you're not right now, Aaron's in his thirties. I'm in my twenties, almost Almost thirties, um, yeah, but it's old, bro. oh man, uh, but it's it's not something that we're thinking about every day. That oh man, I'm gonna die. Yeah. Um, in the same way, we're not thinking about where our food is gonna come from. We're not thinking about if we're gonna have shelter tonight. There, there's so many issues that we don't run through, and because of that, we're very focused on this life. There's mm-hmm. no, we, we we don't have to be. Um, I'm trying to think. I keep trying to say we don't have to be, we don't need to be reminded, but we do, but we don't feel that that's what it is. We don't feel the need yeah. to remind ourselves. We have no reason to, yeah. to remember any of the uh, any of the future hope or the things that we cling to. Like there's no reason to it. Right now, I'm good. I'm comfortable. I have a car. I have two cars. I have a house. I have fill in the blanks. Like, well, and it's, and, and the other thing too is like, be very careful when you hear the word wealth, you immediately think money. It's not wealth. That's only money. It's, it's, it's real estate. It's, ex- yeah, it's real estate. And let me tell you, no, but it's, I think a lot of that too is, 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 is access to resources. Like we have so much right. access that we have that most other countries don't have. And so lower middle class Americans live like Kings compared yes. to the ancient world. And, and I want to be careful not to like guilt trip us or make us feel bad. Like for whatever reason, God has seen in his sovereignty to place us in this point in time in history and, and the place we are for whatever reason. And at the end of the day, it's called stewardship. We have to be mindful of what are we called to do with what we've been given. Um, and that's, I mean, going back to the simple point that everyone's making before we jump into this, we need to live a little bit more urgently with the end in mind and not just presently for this life. It doesn't mean we forsake all enjoyment. It doesn't mean we forsake all pleasure, uh, the right kind of pleasure, biblical, please. Um, but it doesn't mean we forsake those things. It means that we are living with stewardship in mind. God, what am I to do with what you've given me? Because we are in a very privileged place right now. So and it's a if remote. we're in the Western America, or right. I guess America in general. It, and it's a, yeah, not the East Coast. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's not a, the way, East Coast. It's a reminder of that our hope, yeah, like you said, our hope should be in Christ's eventual return. And that's what Peter's reminding. It, it, I think it's very telling that Peter's hope is not like, hey guys, it's going to turn around. Eventually, 
this guy's not going to be emperor anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like his his hope. He he's telling them to be reminded of eternal hopes, yes. things that are going to happen after they die. Uh, and I think for us today, we we so much of our Christianity is built on well, what does God do for me in this lifetime, as opposed to what has already been accomplished and yeah. what are we looking forward to in eternity? So I think it's an important thing to keep in mind. Uh, after this, he shifts into a warning against false teachers. Um, and it's, it's interesting the way that he, I won't hear, well, we'll read it first and then we'll kind of talk about, I like the way that he actually paints this up. So he says, there were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will bring destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved ways and the way of the truth will be maligned because of them. They will exploit you in their greed with made-up stories. Their condemnation pronounced long ago is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep. For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but cast them into hell and delivered them into chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment, and if he didn't spare the ancient world, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, I mean, can't even give them their names, huh? That's fine, I guess. Doesn't matter. Poor Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Jesus is all that matters. Uh, when he brought the flood of the world to the ungodly, and he, if he reduced the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is coming to the ungodly, and, boy, he's listing off examples, and if he rescued the righteous, the righteous lot distressed by the depraved behavior of the immoral, for as that righteous man lived among them day by day, his righteous soul was tormented by the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then... So after like 17,000 examples, he gets to the point. Uh, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, especially those who follow the, uh, the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. Bold, arrogant people, they are not afraid to slander the glorious ones. However, angels who are in greater who are greater in might and power do not bring a slanderous charge against them before the Lord. Okay. So what's he talking about here? Um, I love that he connects this idea of false teachers rising up in this time to false prophets rising up in the Old Testament. Yeah. So essentially he's saying, you know, for every Elijah, there's 400 false prophets who get put to death at the Baal thing that goes down. I don't know why I call it the Baal thing, but the super cool, you know, <laughs> fire coming from that is awesome. Uh, but you you see this all throughout the Old Testament. There's false prophets. And obviously they're not as famous because, you know, they shouldn't be. Uh, but you see people who, they sway kings away. They're kind of like the worm tongue in Lord of the Rings, but they 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 tell the kings what they want to hear. They tell the people what they want to hear. We see it in Amos where he's like, everyone's like, oh, one day the day of the Lord will come. And Amos is like, you don't, like, this isn't a good thing. <laughs> like, like the way you're living, the day of the Lord is not something you should be looking forward to. Yeah. Um, but they... It comes down to this idea of telling people what they want to hear or getting something that they want. And in the same way that false prophets rose up in times of real prophecy, when God's revelation was being downloaded and, and disseminated, now the the gospel has come forward, that the new covenant is here. A complete paradigm shift of our relationship with Yahweh has, has arrived. And so with something that great, of course, there's going to be false teachers who come along. And it, it, come, it takes multiple different ways, which is kind of interesting because there's the famous one in the Bible is the Judaizers. Mm-hmm. Um, and their whole thing is basically they, they did not grasp the idea that the old covenant had now been fulfilled 
and the new covenant was something was something new. Um, and so what they thought was you needed to be Jewish, and then once you are Jewish, you can experience the grace and the mercy of of Jesus. So that's where they get away. But there's a bunch of other heresies. There's a, and you can see because they, what they do is they twist the gospel into their culture. It's like the Greeks, their whole deal was, you know, the body is impure, but the soul is is what is great. The spirit is what is great. And then so they begin to say like, well, you know, Jesus, he he obviously, he didn't have a body body because, you know, he was perfect. So why would he have something gross like a body? So, you know what I mean? It, it kind of goes through all these different things. The false teachers are coming and Peter is essentially telling the church, remember the actual gospel, remember what we've taught you. Um, and then I, it's a, it's really scary, but he talks about how they will exploit you in their greed and made up stories. Their condemnation pronounced long ago is not idle and their destruction does not sleep. Or in other words, do not be a false teacher. Yeah. <laughs> Cause he's, he's, and he, he uses the, he uses the examples to show on the one hand, destruction of those where God, once God has decided to destroy, there's no, there's no escaping that. There's no, um, yeah, there's no getting away. Uh, but in the same way, when God has decided to deliver the righteous, there's also nothing that the wicked can do about that. Yeah. So it's, it's all these stories kind of show the different things. So like with the flood, when God decided to destroy, there was no escape. But when he decided to save Noah and his family, there was nothing that the people outside could do. And, you know, we don't need to go through all the examples again, but that's what he's getting at. So, Well, and I think it's important to um, to be very careful uh, today even. I can, I, I, there's not very many people that I would call them, hey, they're a false prophet, they're a false teacher, they're a false teacher, they're false. Right. But I, there have been moments in my life that I know I have taught falsely. Uh, and I say that really, really carefully because sometimes the thoughts that we say or the things that we say are loosely attached to something we kind of remember from some passage of scripture we read at one point and it's not clear where that truth could be rooted in. And if we're not careful, and this is one thing I, I have always appreciated about you and in our conversations is I, I process, just throw stuff out. I'm a lot like Peter when it comes to my brain um, where I just, I just go, 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 go. But being able to have someone to bounce and have conversations about that are biblically attached, that are biblically rooted, because it's really easy to fall in that false prophet, not the false prophet, the false teacher category. Mm -hmm. If we're not, students that hold the integrity of scripture tightly. Um, it's very easy. To, and this is where we've get, gotten some of the myths. This is where we've gotten some of the, the, the misidentified truths that never found their roots in the Bible. God won't give you more than you can handle. Like that, that's not biblical. <laughs> so right. God gives you, God allows things to play out with the intent of glorifying his name and your good, which is in the glorifying of his name and to draw you close to him. Like there's, there's reasons thing happened, but it's not like God's going to give you, not going to give you more than you can handle. That was a good sentiment that isn't biblically founded. And, and if we're not careful, we hold to these things as if they're biblically true. Um, and that's where false teaching begins is if we're not holding to the integrity and truth of scripture and being a student of it. Uh, and so on one hand, it's really easy to talk about false teachers as they're some kind of like distant, far off being who is maybe in the wee hours of the morning on a TV show saying, hey, put your hands to the screen. But reality Send me is, money. <laughs> yeah, send me money for three payments of set. But, it, but in the reality is there's moments of, of false teaching in our own lives where we're trying to encourage and we don't know how to encourage a situation with biblical truth besides just being present and trusting in God for who he is. So be, we got to be careful with that. So right. there is some level of, of uncertain, uh, of weight that we need to feel when we read a passage like this to understand Peter's talking to me too. 
not just because I'm a pastor. If I wasn't a pastor, Peter's talking to me too. And so we've mm-hmm. got to be mindful and guarded with that. Well, my mind, my mind goes to Apollos, who I think is a great example of someone who, like you said, was teaching falsely, um, but is not a false teacher, which maybe this is a weird semantic game to play. But mm. in my mind, um, like the whole thing with Apollos is like he was really he was really passionate. He clearly had a gift for communicating. And then it's like, hey, Priscilla and Aquila, you guys need to rein him in a little bit and like make sure, like set him on the right doctrinal path. Um, but I think the big difference there is the willingness to be corrected. Yes. And the humility. De- and Teachability. The, yeah, humility and the desire to get it right. Yeah. So, because I don't think, obviously, like you said, I don't think if you, because then, then, then there's this pressure of like, if we ever say anything wrong, then all of a sudden God's wrath is coming for us like Sodom yeah. and Gomorrah. So, and that's not true. Specifically, as far as this wrath is, it's people who understand that they are perverting the gospel and they're doing it for their own gain Yeah, is, is kind of its own. Absolutely. And that's a good clarity too. Um, so finally, speaking of the day of the Lord, uh, Peter talks about it here a little bit. So this is the, the final part is of the prophetic section that we'll talk about there or here, but it's in second Peter uh, chapter three, verses eight through 13. It says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the day with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slow, slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and then the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for, waiting for, and hastening the coming of the day of, of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. So it's again reminding the people that what they're looking forward to is an eternal thing. And I also love this idea that. Um, well, we're saying this is the late 60s. So about 35 years after Jesus's ministry, people are like, okay, when is he coming back? Come on, this is taking forever. And here we are 2000 years later. Um, I think it's, it's, it's interesting that Peter says it that way, that he's not slow the way that some of us would count slowness, but that he is essentially delaying. He wants as many people to be able to receive the gospel as possible. Um, But then he says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Or in other words, when you don't expect it. Yep. So like when my car got stolen six months ago. Evan just, was anticipating it from day one. I was kidding. Yeah. No, yeah. I didn't I didn't walk out that morning and think like, oh, my car's probably gone today. Like I walked out, couldn't find my car, and I was like, you son of a gun. But I didn't know the person. <laughs> so I guess, I mean, daughter of a and gun. And then he got a free subwoofer out of it. That's true. Yeah. Fun, fun story there. They installed a sub in the back of my car because apparently they were like, this is mine now. I'm just going to have this forever. Anyway, that has nothing to do with the Bible, dear listeners. Anyway, but the idea being uh, that when Christ comes back, it'll be unexpected. Yeah. And so I think, A, that's something that we all need to keep in mind for for those of us who like to try and play the prediction game. Uh, but B, it's, <laughs> it's also one of those things where it's a reminder toward our eternal hopes. And he says, you know, one day, Everything that we know is going to pass away. There will be new heavens and new earth. There's going to be the, the earth remade, kind yeah. of passing through fire. It, it, the image is almost like that of gold being refined. It's, it's this really, it's this idea that there's going to be all these different 
there's going to be the earth the way that it was supposed to be and the heavens and earth meeting in the way that it was always supposed to be. And in light of that, what kind of life should we live here on this yeah. earth? So there you go. Finally, he ends it. Uh, we'll read the last four chapters here. And this is his final exhortation. Four verses, not chapters. Sorry. So you know. We're going to read four chapters. And like, eh, that's my cue to turn it off. We'll have an hour and a half podcast episode today. Uh, but he says this, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. So there you go. I just, I love that Paul passage. I think it's just, I think it's so fun. Peter passage? Well, the Peter passage about Paul. Oh, God. Um, but I, th- I just, I, I think it's so fun to have biblical authors referring to one another. And then, cause Paul also talks about how he like met up with Peter and like, yep. was like, Hey, listen, this is what you're doing and it's wrong. Um, so I think it's, there's this interesting dynamic between really, I would say the two great pillars as far as humans go of the early church are Peter and Paul and kind of the, the dynamic that they have back and forth, but also the understanding. And, and here's, so I guess something important that we skipped over there when he says they um, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. What he's doing there is he's calling Paul's letter scripture. Yeah. So there's even this understanding in this moment that- That's a big deal. Yep. Some of what they're right. He is putting in with that one sentence, he has put Paul's letters on the same level as the prophetic texts of the Old Testament. So- that's it's something that's really easy to breeze by, but there's a lot of yeah. really interesting stuff happening just in those in those four verses. There's a lot of yeah. really interesting implications. So, anyway, well, that is going to wrap it up for this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. As a as a review, as a request, as a reminder, <laughs> do us a favor and leave us a five star review on whatever platform you're listening on. It just helps us get the word out there to more people. And if you leave a written review, we'll read it on air, just because you know that's the kind of people that we are. <laughs> Uh, and finally, we are a resource of the Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of the Grove Church. If you would like to find all of our other resources, you can find them on our website, grove.church. And also, if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you'd like to financially contribute to the ministry that the church does, you can do that on the website. There's a gift button in the upper right-hand corner. But with that being said, have a great day.